You are listening to the Murray Hills Church Podcast. To learn more about Murray Hills Church, including our gathering times and how to connect with us, visit us online at murrayhills.com. If you're online and you're just tuning in, this is uh, going to be a heavy topic this morning, so let me just go ahead and say this would be a great time to find a place for your littles um, as we kind of dive in and talk about the subject of human trafficking this morning. It is both a privilege and a burden to hold the microphone or wear it today. Um, In a perfect world, the microphone would be held by those directly impacted by the woes of slavery. And I wish that I could place this microphone directly into their hands to let you hear directly from them this morning. But it's my prayer and my desire that I lift these individuals and center their lives and their stories as the impetus of God's love for the oppressed. I'm hopeful and I'm petitioning God this morning to move his spirit throughout the room and to penetrate our hearts, opening our eyes to better understand our role in pursuing justice for his image bearers across the globe. So you're about to find out why I don't often get invited to ladies' night out. Um, I research depressing things, and I'm really good at bringing up statistics about human trafficking and making connections between child slavery and the chocolate industry at Halloween parties. So um, hang in and bear with me. Um, Let's talk about some misconceptions of human trafficking this morning as we get started. How many of you have seen the movie Taken? Okay, yeah. All right, so Hollywood got to us, and, um, and we are kind of familiar with this, this idea of, of sex trafficking. My assumption is that when you hear the words human trafficking, your mind probably goes to sex trafficking. And you think of Liam Neeson dropping in, saving his daughter out of the basement in handcuffs, right, to, to, be, uh, to, be, to be rescued. Um, when you do a Google image search for human trafficking, you're going to find the picture in the top right. Actually, a lot of staged pictures like this. And um, they are very compelling, very compelling pictures. But the movie Taken was written based off of the story of a Navy SEAL who traveled the country talking about how his daughter had, uh, he had rescued his daughter out of the hands of traffickers. And after he pricked all of our hearts, sold his story to Hollywood, and made millions of dollars, it was discovered that he fabricated the entire story. Yeah, oh no. And he's in prison now for uh, making himself rich, um, selling this fake story. So unfortunately, most people don't know this, and the Hollywood narrative has centered human trafficking as, as mostly a sex trafficking issue, and that's what remains at the center of our minds. My job today is to dismantle some of the misconceptions around human trafficking and then connect modern day slavery to the ways it intersects with your life and with my life today. So first, the definition. Human trafficking is the business of stealing freedom for profit. There are lots of definitions of human trafficking and the definition of trafficking has evolved over time as we come to understand more and more ways that people people are exploited today. But the Polaris Project does a lot of research, mostly focused on the United States and trafficking patterns within the US. And this, I feel, is the most simple and most comprehensive definition of what human trafficking is. So imagine, imagine anything that would be stealing freedom from someone else for profit. There are so many different types of human trafficking business models. The reason I am in a college of business is because I realized that as a social researcher, someone who was, who was studying about human trafficking, the most 
the most impactful place that I could position myself in order to make the most effective change in human trafficking phenomenons around the world was to be centered in business because business drives all forms of exploitation. So some of these you may be familiar with. You may can imagine how working in a strip bar, working in an illicit massage um, location, some of, these, some of these locations you would imagine pretty easily how human trafficking could intersect, but maybe the construction industry, carnival industry, um, healthcare industry, this would be something that would be new for us, for a lot of us today. So we'll, we'll talk about why that is and how that, how that happens, but I wanna take us back to scripture. I went back to Genesis in preparing for this sermon, and I didn't make it 10 verses before I found the first nod to slavery in the beginning of time. So Genesis chapter 9 is the first time that we actually hear the word slavery used. Uh, Noah cursed his son Ham after he realized that his sons had come into the tent where he was naked and covered him. It's unsure exactly what happened in that tent, but he was so offended by that, uh, that instance that he cursed the son of Ham. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. So this is the first mention of slavery we have recorded. Genesis chapter 12, just a few chapters later, we have Abram and Sarai going into Egypt. And Abram, if you remember, says to his wife, Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that, it may, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So here we have an instance of, of forced sexual servitude. Genesis 18 and 19 when Noah is pleading on behalf of God to save the city of Sodom because his nephew Lot is there, he offers um, his daughters to the angels that have come in to warn him. And he uh, says, you know, these men are trying to defile the angels. Let me offer up my daughters in their place. So again, another instance of forced sexual servitude or sexual exploitation. Genesis 29, the story of Jacob, Leah, and Rachel. We have Jacob working for seven years in order to earn his wife. So we've got an instance of forced labor and that uh, forced marriage by, uh, by Laban's daughter, Leah, being married to Jacob. This is how we would define it in the modern times, right? Okay. Genesis 34, we have the sexual assault of Dinah, one of Jacob's son, da daughter, his, his daughter Dinah, excuse me. Um, and Shechem, the son of Hamor, says in verse 2, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And so after this instance takes place, there's this conversation around how we'll have marriage between our tribes, and we know that that ended up um, working with um, a, a dominance over Jacob's people, um, of, ja of Jacob's people over um, the Hivites there. But again, talking about forced marriage, talking about um, sexual assault, goodness, we could go on and on about Bilhah and Zilpah and Rachel's servants and their sexual servitude to Jacob. Joseph, at age 27, is sold into the, the land of Egypt the first instance of forced labor um, that's explicitly defined as we would define human trafficking today. And going on to Genesis 38, um, Judah is tricked by Tamar, thinking that she is a prostitute. And so we have an evidence that prostitution was already an understood cultural phenomenon. Whew. The book of Genesis, you guys want to go to Exodus? <laughs> there are so many instances that prove that from the beginning of time, we have learned how to exploit one another over and over and over again. There's colonial evidence of this as well. The Israelites in slavery in Egypt and the Egyptian empire, Jews being enslaved under the Babylonian empire, prisoners of war being enslaved in Rome, and the Romans believing that slavery was not considered an evil, but a necessity by Roman citizens, believing that it was their divine right to rule over others because of their superiority. 
And then that gets us to the transatlantic slave trade, the one that we're probably most familiar with because of the history of the United States. There was an intertribal slave trade going on in West Africa already, selling to the British. And in 1619, the first British slave trader lands a ship anchored at an American harbor. And we're fully aware, maybe we're still learning, about the atrocities that took place during our nation's history on the exact land, even within our own county, that we are still wrestling with. The effects of exploitation are long-lasting. Psychological trauma, generational poverty, and social stigmas continue to enslave people groups even after they are free. You can look at the genocides from the last 40 years or so, the genocide in Cambodia in the 1970s, the genocide in Rwanda in the 1990s, the Rohingya Muslims still fleeing for freedom out of Myanmar, and the Uyghur minority in China that is in, in internment camps in China as we speak this morning. The lasting effects of this generational trauma will continue to children and to their children and to their children. It's easy to look into the past and critique the actions of people with whom we have no relationship. And I'm speaking to you this morning as a white woman from middle-class America. I grew up surrounded by artifacts from plantation life in the South, and my own family history proves that the status I now hold in society is directly linked to the generations of social power that I come from. It's only honest and responsible that I wrestle with everything that that entails. Speaking to the intrinsic guilt of the white population, because as a white woman, I know that it's there. We are constantly trying to rationalize the past sins of our race and rectify our own complicity with slavery. And it's easy for us to look into the past and say, well, I would have never been a slave owner. I would have never done that. But I'll say this, placing ourselves in history and considering what our theoretical actions may or may not have been during times of blatant slavery on our own soil is not easy, and it keeps us detached from the current issue of slavery today. Why do I take us through this entire history? Because I want to encourage us, if this is encouraging, that there are no new evils that have been created. Every aspect of human trafficking that exists today has been in existence from the beginning of organized society. So let's not hang on the history for the rest of the morning. Let's, let's jump into the present and discuss how our lives intersect with this issue today. I hope you're wearing steel-toed boots. This is where it gets real, okay? Um, modern slavery, most often referred to as human trafficking, touches nearly every aspect of our lives. Just like in the empires before, our economy chooses to remain dependent on slave labor because we continue to demand products and services that serve us. Our comforts, our bank accounts, our indulgence. Powerful societies have risen in influence by purposefully exploiting the labor of the populations that they have disenfranchised. And as a wealthy nation, that means we're pointing at us. Today, human trafficking is the third most lucrative illicit crime in the world behind the illegal arms trade and drug trafficking. So as we talked about, most of us are familiar with sex trafficking. This is a picture from Soy Cowboy in Bangkok, one of uh, the most, most visited uh, streets in the world for human sex tourism. So men, and sometimes women, most often men from around the world are traveling to this street where you can find women standing on the street um, and there is an entire sex industry that is thriving there 
Um, it goes all the way back to the times of R&R from our soldiers during previous conflicts and how that has developed out of the travel that was brought to Thailand during the time. But here's a few things I want to make sure we understand. Not everyone engaged in sex work is a trafficking victim. Okay? Some individuals choose to go into this work because it is a way to put food on the table for their families, and, they, and women feel that they have control over the situation um, in countries especially where the laws protect them to do that. The most common modes of sexual exploitation are internet crowdsourcing websites like Craigslist, Backpage, even Instagram is the most used app for eliciting, uh, eliciting acts associated with a crime. There are sex tourism hotspots all over the world, and large events also drive an increase in human trafficking. So think about the Super Bowl. You've probably read articles about how times of the Super Bowl increase the issue. Um, anytime there's a major event, you're going to see an uptick in traffic towards that location to be able to supply a demand. Massage parlors and escort services are common in the United States, but the pornography industry is the most common industry that is driving human trafficking today. Talking about human trafficking without talking about technology is, is pretty pointless. But there are, for most academics, they would say that, we don't have the exact numbers on this, but it's believed that labor trafficking is much more prevalent than sex trafficking in the world. And this is hard to put numbers to, that's why I'm not throwing big numbers at you this morning. Sometimes we get a little paralyzed by thinking about millions of people. Um, but companies are not reporting their wages, they're not reporting their supply chains, right? So this is really hard for us to actually put numbers to. But here are a few industries that we know are using slave labor today. Um, think about agriculture. The bananas that you're buying in the store. Where we lived in Southeast Asia, there was a life expectancy of two years once someone started working on a banana farm because of the harsh pesticides that were there, the, the low wages, the lack of access to their human rights and the lack of protection, the use of these pesticides. Bananas, but also coffee, um, cocoa, cotton, these are all industries that have um, used slave labor. You can actually get online if you want to look up, um, there is a, there's a scorecard for different chocolate companies that will show you how ethical they are and if they use child labor or not. So maybe think about that as we're going into the Easter season. Um, another industry is mining. So we know that diamonds and raw materials, raw minerals are being mined in many places in, on the continent of Africa. Um, these are, this is a major issue. You may have seen the movie Blood Diamond years ago. Um, so that, that is still happening as well. Um, there's another phenomenon happening around domestic servitude. And so m women from, honestly, a lot of places in Asia and Northern Africa and West Africa are being trafficked to the Gulf states in order to work as domestic servants in the homes of people there. Um, since we're in America and most of us are Americans, I will say that um, one of the places that we see this happening most often in, uh, across the world is in the families of U.S. embassy members as well, serving abroad. Um, the garment industry is another place where we see uh, lots of exploitation. Used to, we had two fashion seasons a year, right? We had spring, summer, and fall, winter, but now we have 52 fashion seasons a year. Where you can go into Target at any, any week and see something new and different that you didn't see before. And so this drive for constant consumerism and, and refreshing the racks is driving low cost across the world, low labor, and we're always striving for the bottom line um, as, as business owners. And so that has, that has led to quite um, an uptick in trafficking in the garment industry as well. In the United States, we see landscaping uh, companies driving through and just offering 
offering uh, maybe 30, 30 cents more an hour to guys who are working in the landscaping industry. Um, really hard for people to keep their workers there, but still not making a, livable, a living wage. Meatpacking plants in the United States and the textile industry in the United States are, are still a huge deal, but maybe, the, maybe one of the most well-known issues is our imports. As industry has moved away from the United States, corporations have been able to skirt around ethical issues like employment benefits, minimum wage requirements, and age restrictions, and the fishing and seafood industry is one that has been renowned for employing individuals out of human trafficking uh, situations. I want to tell you guys a story about Joy this morning. Um, I met Joy in 2017, I believe it was, and I had a dear friend who had lived in Laos and was, was uh, the person who kind of welcomed me into the country and taught me everything I needed to know about the language faux pas. And she and her family moved to M uh, Penang, Malaysia, where they were working in, a, in an international school there. And one day they were at their daughter's volleyball game and they met another mom who was sitting there with her children playing, and they started talking, and when you live abroad, you know, the conversation always goes to, well, where did you live before? Where all have you lived? What did, you know, what do you do? And so my friend Kayla said, well, we, we moved here from, from Laos, and the woman stopped, and she said, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> she said, we just started praying to meet someone who could speak Lao. Can you speak Lao? And my, Kayla, and my friend Kayla is an amazing linguist, and she said, actually, I can. And, and the woman said, God is so good. She said, my husband and I do prison ministry here in Penang, and we have met this man in the prison who's from Lao. He can't speak English. We can't speak Lao. We saw his name on the chalkboard as an inmate, and we just don't know his story, where he came from. And so uh, Kayla's husband, Kirk, went, met with, met with Joy in, in the prison, and and they find out that Joy had migrated to Thailand looking for work. In many, many countries around the world, the most uh, honoring thing you can do for your family is to bring home an income and to support your family in that way. And so Joy, because of the lack of job opportunities in Laos, had migrated to Thailand looking for a job. And someone met him and said, hey, Joy, I've got, a, I've got an amazing job for you in, in Malaysia. Will you, come, will you come with me? I'll make sure that you're taken care of. You'll have money. You'll have women. You'll have all the things that you, that you desire. And so Joy goes the very first day. He's on, he's on the fishing boat, and he sees a guy who's not doing so well. He's feeling sick. And rather than caring to him medically, the person in charge of the boat just throws the man overboard. And Joy watches the man drown. And he realizes, this is not a safe place for me. I need to do something about this. So when the boat docks, he goes and he's looking around town and he finds a police officer and he thinks, I'm much more safe in prison than I am on this boat. So he begs the police officer. He kind of puts his hands up like this and says, please arrest me. And the police officer won't have anything to do with him. He's like, I can't arrest everybody who's here illegally. Um, so Joy does what any smart person would do, knowing how to get into prison. He just punches the police officer in the face. He's like... If you're not going to arrest me, I'll assault you. So, um, so he punches the police officer, and he gets put in prison that way. And that's how he finds his way to meeting, uh, meeting this acquaintance of my friend Kayla. Um, we ended up repatriating Joy back home, and this was taken on the alley outside of his house right uh, after we left the airport. Joy had no idea what day it was, what month it was. He thought that he was going to die in prison in Malaysia and was convinced that that's where he would live forever. And right before we went in to meet uh, his mom... He was just wrestling with all these questions like, is she going to be ashamed of me that I got tricked? Does she think that I'm dead? I remember him asking, is she going to think that I'm a spirit? Like, is she going to believe that I'm home? 
and watching him work through the shame and, and the, the wrestling of, of even going back home after experiencing such exploitation was, was real. It's incredible how many different forms of human trafficking exist today, from organ trafficking on the black market to orphan trafficking, with children being adopted, with living mothers and fathers around the globe, child soldiers and child brides. These are all issues that continue to happen. But I think that we have in the Im this image in our, in our head of what trafficking looks like and what a trafficking victim looks like. So often it's a woman and she's in some kind of physical bondage. But when we consider social hierarchies and we lose touch to begin and begin to rationalize the reason that people in the, are in the desperate situations that they are in, we, we love to hate human trafficking. But we love it when we get to play the role of the rescuer. Imagining ourselves running in, busting up a brothel, and escorting a sex slave to freedom, that is exciting to us, and we think, wow, I'm so for that, right? But do we love our neighbor when he or she is at risk of being trafficked? Do we love to step in before the abuse starts? As Randy so eloquently shared with us last week, do, when we consider the disenfranchised, those in generational poverty, those in proximity to illicit drugs, do we love to hate human trafficking when these individuals are at risk before the trafficking actually take pl takes place? Or do we consider them a nuisance as people milking the system or making bad choices? There are so many risk factors that lead to human trafficking, poverty being the greatest, being a migrant being another, proximity to illicit drugs, sexual abuse as a minor, being socially ex exploited to believe that the best thing you can do is to work and bring money home to your family even if it means being exploited. And I think it's our lack of knowledge uh, about these issues that makes us afraid. So in my experience, there are individuals that I just talked about who were afraid to engage as Christians. Maybe it's because we don't know how to have an educated conversation about heroin or about immigration, or about food stamps, but whatever it is, if it feels foreign and scary to us, we just don't engage it, right? But it's our lack of engagement that leads to a lack of justice. It's our lack of engagement that leads to a lack of justice. We've become accustomed to the idea of the government responding to the social crises around us, and I don't at all mean to suggest that there's not a place for the government to play a role in fighting human trafficking, but goodness, can you imagine the effect Christians could have on the world if we stopped separating the secular from the sacred? I was, I've been moved throughout this entire series. Um, every Sunday, there's been something that has pushed on me, something that has challenged me in some way. And our elder, Mr. Jackson, really pushed us several weeks ago into, into sharing, you know, Robert said, we cannot separate the sacred, um, the secular from the sacred. And, and that has really stuck with me. We've talked theoretical a lot this morning, but I want to bring it home to us, and, and the, two of the most often asked questions that I get are, first, from parents. What can I do to protect my kids, right? It's natural as a, as a mom or a dad to want to protect our littles, and so um, we're going to talk about that first, and then we're going to talk about our response as Christians, how we should, how, how we should engage with the world around us. So for the parents in the room, we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about us, because I don't want us to leave today feeling paralyzed by the issue and how great of an issue it is. If we're not 
engaged with our kids over technology. And we're out of touch with the world that they live in. So speaking openly and honestly about technology, the way that it needs to be used safely is so, so critical. And then focusing on cultivating a safe home environment. I, I am married, so I know that living with people is hard. And my husband would say the same thing about living with me. Um, living with people is hard. And creating a safe home environment takes daily work. We've both been through counseling. We've both been through, you know, lots of lots of deep inner work, and and I feel like that is such a gift to our children. So if I can do anything this morning to normalize that journey of getting to know yourself and giving that gift back to your children through that self-awareness and through wrestling with your own junk, man, I hope that my kids are blessed by the the hard work that I've had to do getting getting accustomed to my 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 own dirt, uh, my own baggage. But creating and cultivating that safe home environment is going to keep our kids knowing that they can come to us for stuff um, before they seek advice from the outside. Um, I remember my daughter was seven when she first asked me, Mom, if I sleep with a boy, will I get pregnant? I'm like, I was not ready for this. You're seven. I just started Googling how to talk to a seven-year-old. about. Like, I had no idea what I was doing. I had not woken up that day prepared to have that conversation. But what we said to her was, man, I am so glad that you asked us. Because we will always tell you the truth. We will always tell you the truth about this. And you can't always trust the kids at school to tell you the truth. I don't know. I could talk forever about parenting and how it's broken me and it brought me to my knees. Um, we have to talk about pornography distribution with our kids as well. Um, I'm sure that Todd, Todd would attest to this. If you guys are in law enforcement, you would attest to this. But most of our teens don't know that if you text an illicit picture of someone, you are distributing pornography. And our kids need to know this because it is a criminal offense. And then coach about the warning signs of predatory language online. Um, again, if our kids are seeking validation outside, and aren't we all seeking validation from someone outside, and weren't we all seeking this as teenagers, um, it's going to be so easy to be lured into a relationship that is not real. And so talking to our kids about this is, is critical. What about the rest of us? As, as citizens of heaven, as Christians in a world that is so broken, what, what do we do? How can we, how can we engage? And I want to normalize this process of shock and guilt. This morning, some of us may be feeling a little surprised that the clothes that you're wearing, the fruit that you ate for breakfast, maybe the chocolate that you had last night before you go to bed, nobody did that, um, these are all probably can be traced back to supply chains ridden with slavery today. So if this is shocking, just know that it's been shocking for me too. And that process of working through my own guilt and my, my complicity in, in the sex industry and the, the labor trafficking industry today is, is real. And I want to normalize that. But I want us to eventually get to the point where we can move from guilt into awareness and then action. Responding out of guilt continues to center us rather than centering the survivors of human trafficking. So every time we can center a survivor, that's going to create a much more lasting, sustainable approach. And speaking of sustainability, um, I want us to recognize the purchasing power that we have in this room. Those of us online listening in, the power of our credit card and our dollars to send a message to companies to hold them accountable is critical. 
It is powerful. And the way that we spend our money sends a message. We've watched over the last 10 years as the fashion industry has been forced to reckon with this after the Rana Plaza collapse um, in Bangladesh and over a thousand garment industry workers lost their lives. People have said, I'm not going to give my money to the big box stores anymore. Sorry, Gap. Sorry, H&M. If you're not protecting your workers, we're not going to shop with you. And we have watched this normalization of, of publishing our wages happen. Um, people really creating amazing processes for their employees. That is a good thing, but it comes from, it comes from our purchasing power. It's okay to go slow and just choose one thing today that you can walk away with. Think, what can I change in my life that would, that would send a message? Yesterday for me, it meant that it's spring. I've got to get new clothes for my kids that refuse to stay the same size. And so we went to a consignment shop and we bought all of our, all of our spring and summer clothes secondhand. Okay, so that's, that's just one easy step that you can take to send a message about, about our values when it comes to not just slave labor, but the environment and the economy. Um, minimizing our, our um, consumption. The things that we really need compared to the things that we buy and consume are minimal. And leaning into that, my husband would say, I don't do that enough, so I may be a hypocrite before you today. But, um, but minimizing our consumption is huge. And then keeping our hearts and our eyes open to the people around us. If you want to know what it looks like to engage with a human trafficking victim, look at the person walking down the street in the middle of the day, in the heat, carrying a purse in the middle of the summer. That's, that doesn't happen by accident, okay? The people who are walking around us, who look like they are on the fringe of society, those are the people that we must engage. We must stop the car, roll down the window and say, what's going on? What do you need? And then we need to be willing to let our schedules be messed up a little bit to allow our lives to be interrupted by the people who are looking for someone to just notice them. Yesterday, that was a man outside of Birmingham who saw my husband's grandmother walking down the road on the side of I-65. She didn't know where she was. She didn't know where she was going. She thought she was going to Michigan, and her car ran out of gas. And this man stopped. He interrupted his entire day to stop, look at her in the eye, see what's going on, and find a way to communicate with us back here in Tennessee so that my husband and his father could drive down um, to, to recover her. That took a lot of time out of that man's day. But he could have saved the life of somebody that we love dearly. Are we willing to do that for people who we don't know? Are we willing to do that for people who are not going to be able to pay us anything back or for people whose stories we can't tell on social media. As we wrap up today, I want to share this. Being knowledgeable about human trafficking or any of the issues that we're talking about, that has never ushered in tangible justice. Never. We love to donate money to anti-trafficking organizations that have saved someone, and that is good. We love to have our hearts bleed out for the narrative of the destitute and then ask how we can be a rescuer. But my push today is to ask, what if we could, what if we could step in before the trauma takes place? What if we could stop looking at people dependent on welfare as lazy and start building relational bridges with these individuals? What if we purposefully gave our income until it hurt? What if we were willing to be less trendy so that we could afford sustainable fair trade clothing? 
What if we consumed less so that the marketplace was affected by the message of our spending? What if we opened up an extra room in our home to share with somebody who makes us uncomfortable? We love to be a rescuer, but what if our most holy act was that of a neighbor? Proverbs 22, verse 16 says, One who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and one who gives, rich to the, gives gifts to the rich, both come to poverty. I think we all know that our reward is in heaven. What a, what a great piece of news for the people who continue to be oppressed, even more so. We have to stay focused on the people in front of us. We have to know their names. We have to understand their challenges and not get overwhelmed by the statistics of the millions of people who are oppressed for labor and for sex today. I have a feeling that many of you, when you came today and you saw the sermon topic, that you expected to be able to settle in and observe um, what happens way over across the ocean or what happens in the red light district. But I hope that we can, we can realize that our hands and our hearts and our money is all wrapped up in a global economy that continues to exploit. My goal for this morning is that you'll realize that you are complicit in modern-day slavery that I will repent of the ways I'm still complicit in modern-day slavery, and that as a church, we will be a people who repent of that complicity and take measurable steps to set ourselves apart. So how are we showing up in our community? How are we spending our money? How are we sharing our wealth? How are we dismantling our preconceptions about the poor? We may not be actively cracking a whip over someone's back, we may, we may not be actively stepping into a red light district to purchase sex from someone today. But we have to ask ourselves, how are we participating as members of a global community? I believe we're going to, to sing a song this morning that, that, that gives a nod to how Christ has come to set free those who are oppressed I believe that statistics and flat images will just remain static in our minds and in our hearts until they become living, breathing, people with shape, people with names, people with stories. And we don't know these stories until we share a cup of coffee with someone, until we are sitting in a courtroom with someone, until we are tutoring the child of someone who has experienced this type of exploitation. I think the enemy loves it when we increase our knowledge about an issue like poverty, abortion, race, human trafficking, and then we stop. So let's not let Satan win this morning, right? If your heart is responding to the plight of the enslaved this morning, we want to invite you to let it pour out. There were lots of connections that I could have made this morning about how we are slaves to sin and we have been enslaved by our past lives, but this morning is not about us as much as it is about the plight of the oppressed. And I want to just take a few moments to allow us to mourn. To give us the space to lift up a fervent prayer and asking God to help us be faithful in emancipating the millions who have been exploited for labor and for their bodies today. 
Let's pray for God to be their rescuer. And let's, as a church, lay no more stripes. Let's allow the secular to become sacred in this room today. And we're going to sing a song about how, how who the Son sets free is free indeed. And so many of the people today who have yet to experience freedom, they're waiting for that freedom to come, and it's not going to come until eternity. They'll never see a rescuer in flesh and blood. That doesn't mean we can stop laying the stripes. If you're close to someone this morning, I would just ask you to huddle up. If you're comfortable, say a prayer for your heart to continue to be open. Say a prayer for the people who have worked the last 16 hours without a break. Say a prayer for the person who made the clothes you're wearing today and made it less than a quarter to do that. Say a prayer for the kids around the world who are harvesting cocoa on farms so that we could give our kids chocolate bars on Easter Sunday. Say a prayer for the men and women and transgendered individuals who are in sexual bondage, having their bodies being used over and over by clients, more than one, more than two, sometimes five, six clients a day. We're going we're gonna to just sing as Scott leads us and um, pray that our hearts are moved to action this morning. Pray that the people who never experience freedom and salvation um, through the physical form today will experience freedom and salvation. One day, standing beside us in eternity at the throne where we are all one and we are all the same and we are all connected to a powerful God who loves each and every person. It's a part of his creation. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.